You've tuned into 96.7 on your FM dial. This is Hugh Cruzel, and the program is QOL, or Quality of Life. My, uh, my program appears generally at 6 o'clock on Thursdays on CKLU 96.7 on your FM dial. If you are choosing to listen on the internet, it's cklu.ca. Of course, you can always go... S- just go to a podcast after. Just Google my name, Hugh Cruzel, and the word podcast, and you'll find this program and so many others, an archive of information available to you on Spotify through Anchor FM. As you know, we, we do talk about quality of life, and radio itself is part of quality of life. You're listening to it. My guest today, Alex Friedman. Alex, where are you today? I'm uh, sitting in, in downtown Ottawa, Hugh. And, and what's your role? There, there is an important piece to this radio investigation I'm doing right now. Well, so I'm the executive director for the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Uh, and the Community Radio Fund draws on a few different funding streams to provide support for community radio stations and campus radio stations across the country. And there are about, about 181, give or take, that we serve. And so we, 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 one of them, thank goodness, is CKLU. No, thank you very much. We, we appreciate all your work, that's for sure. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing these days, the role of community radio. And mm. I took over in this chair uh, right, right as COVID was hitting the entire planet. A lot of people said to me, geez, you know, uh, not, not a great time, it's, it's difficult, and, and it is difficult for everyone. But I think that, interestingly, what has happened is as we become more isolated, as we, as we, as we get into the physical distancing aspect of this, there's still this critical need to connect, and radio uh, plays a unique role in being able to connect society, community, people. Briefly, part of my background, I once worked in, uh, as a journalist in the Congo, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and, and that was a place where radio was vital to communicate to people all across the country when there was a ceasefire, when there were decisions made that were important, and then it needed to be communicated quickly. What we're seeing here is, is radio stations run by and for seniors. We're seeing radio stations, let's take, for example, a radio station on Cortez Island, British Columbia, where there is no other media, and uh, during the pandemic, there were regular two-hour shows uh, where they were interviewing the local health clinic, where they were interviewing the mayors, where they were interviewing the decision makers, and getting information to the people on Cortez Island that they would not be able to get otherwise. And one of the unique roles that community radio plays is that it is it answers to those specific communities. Um, and it, it's very much part of the definition of what community radio is. And so that's critical. That's really critical. Boy, do we um, ever hear your passion for this. Alex, <laughs> you, you've, you've found your, your home, haven't you? My, when I was in university, I became station manager of Radio Concordia, and I merged uh, CFLI and CRSG into what is now CJLO. Uh, and that was the moment I realized that I needed to be part of radio. I had a 15-year career at the CBC, as I mentioned, and a huge part of that was radio hosting. I had the opportunity to host The World This Hour, a national radio news program. I had the opportunity to do a variety of different things on radio. And I've always loved radio. It is 
the, the, the ability to paint a sound portrait, to use your words to communicate on radio is a critical skill. And I've always been passionate about it. So yeah, in many ways, I feel like I've come home. Well, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Africa, but it, it, is, it is so true that radio is perhaps a, a very democratic thing that allows people to access without much investment and especially today, I mean, you can just do it on your phone if, you, if you've got one. But radios are generally ubiquitous, aren't they? They are, and have been and have played a critical role in society for many years. And I recall as a young journalism student, uh, the, the ringing of the hands, oh, radios, you know, I don't know, doesn't get a huge amount of the advertising pie. It's true, it does not. But, you know, there is this, this immediacy to radio that nobody else has. Even newspapers who do a wonderful job of broadcasting online cannot get to you as immediately as radio does. Well, they can't get uh, you in your car as you're driving radio, whether it's serious, uh, whether it's um, just a local broadcast. You, they're with you. They're almost like they're in the passenger seat. Absolutely, and and that is one of the many ways. And as you say, we now get to people on the phones. I, as a user, as a as a avid listener, am able to access community radio from all over the country. When something is happening in Nova Scotia, when there's a shooter happening in Nova Scotia, I can get to the radio stations in Nova Scotia, and I can get that information immediately. And I love the CBC. I'll, I'll say it up and down. I love the CBC. I spent 15 years with them, but the CBC has moved to a model of of regional hubs is the term they like to use and they do a good job but they don't have people in each community the way community radios do mm. so we we are kind of the eyes and the ears for the community reporting in a different way yes and and you speak about the democracy we also walk out of the station and go to the go to the supermarket and stand next to our listeners Hmm. We are responsible to those people because we live with those people. And that contributes to that sense of democracy. Wow, that is so true. And, and you know, maybe, Alex, there is something else to all of this. Most community radio hosts don't necessarily have a background in journalism, and they kind of do it from their heart. Maybe, maybe, the, and if it's not a journal, if it's not journalism, it's it's music. If it's not music, it's it's a talk show about something. They are invested in in making their program a success. Absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it it builds on passion. And, uh, and, and that's at the root of what we do. We are passionate for it. Goodness knows we don't get the same paycheck that a, that a commercial radio broadcaster would ever. Oh, I think uh, my paycheck has a zero on it, by the way. Right. Like, lots of zeros. But we do it because we care. We I've, do it because it's important. <laughs> and we do it because we have something to say. It's it's true, or sometimes we're forced into it, or sometimes it's just a, a situation that presents itself. Alex, I want to go back to the the fact that radio is so present. Do you have stats? I mean, let's face it, I I may not listen to radio quite as much at home, but in the car, that is, and of course now let's go to the pandemic. People are not commuting as much. Um, are they tuning in at home? I mean, there's too many questions for you, I realize, but let's just deal with the car thing. How? What percentage of Canadians listen to radio in the car? So we do still see a very high number of, of, of Canadians listening in the car. It is, uh, it, it is still the primary place where radio has its, has its foot. However, uh, that is changing. And, you know, for example, let's talk about community radio. There are approximately 33 million unique listeners on, an, on, an, on, a, on a given week, 
across the country. That represents oh, just over 2% of the Canadian population who would, we would consider, uh, based on the numbers that we have, uh, daily listeners. Hmm. 30% of the Canadian population listens to radio at least once a month. And what we saw was an increase of about 15% of those weekly listeners since the pandemic began. So people are listening more. People are coming back to the dial. Um, we saw uh, you know, total radio consumption increase. Now, this is all radio stations, about 8%. And yet we saw a, a dramatic decrease in the number of Internet uh, news sources that were being viewed and listened to uh, by Canadians. So Canadians, when they need reliable information, will turn to the radio. Well, now remember, community radio very rarely has a news um, a news desk. I, I mean, that's from my perspective. I may be wrong, but we don't report the same way CBC does. No, we don't. Um, and one of the things the fund is doing these days is trying to change that. So we work with the, the Department of Canadian Heritage to, to, uh, on a local journalism initiative where we can fund radio stations who are in places that are considered news deserts right. uh, to make sure that there are actual journalists in those places. But to your point, Hugh, you're right. And as I say, we communicate in the way our communities communicate. We communicate in the way we know best. And we will, at places like the Fund and with different associations that represent community radios, try to provide more information and more grist for the mill for those conversations. But at the end of the day, it does come down to what you're hearing um, at the barbershop. At the at the at the stylist salon, and God help us at the bars these days. Absolutely. So there is one aspect to this, though, that is incredibly different, also from the news. We can have a twenty-two minute, a twenty-five minute, or even maybe fifty-five minute conversation about something in depth. News <laughs> doesn't do that. We get clips. We get that kind of thing on community radio. Maybe we can drill down a little deeper. We can, and we should. It is what makes us unique. You know, when I was at the CBC, uh, if you got uh, a minute and 20 seconds to do a news report, it was huge. It was huge. The, the, the belief is that the people can't and won't listen longer. But that has been proven wrong. If you listen to podcasts, uh, you'll hear that they are diving deeper and longer into these conversations. And what community radio does is able to do exactly the same thing. Um, here's a good example. There's a, a, a radio station in, uh, in central Ontario, southern Ontario, for the folks who are listening in Sudbury very clearly, that had to that put the, gra- the high school graduation on the radio. Oh. And they brought all four high schools in the area, and they, and they ran for two hours, and, and they did the graduation for all the students on air. Well, that was a was very good. novel way of doing it. I mean, so many schools just did the photos uh, drive-by kind of thing, but why right. not? Why not? I mean, somebody had to think about this, and they thought about it well, and they, they executed the idea. And I'll tell you, the people that thought about it were among the volunteers for this radio station, a former high school principal, uh, an existing high school trustee, uh, and the people who had been part of that tradition. And one of the things they told me when I was talking to them about this was they said, you know, this is so important not just for the graduates, but for the great sevens who are also used to prepare the meals, but felt p- 
part of that ceremony and felt part of that connection and, and will continue to feel part of it because they're able to connect and they're able to hear it. Mm. And, you know, it's not the, the be-all and end-all, but it is a critical part of, of that, that community connection that is, that is just so vital to what we do. Okay, and, I, I have to go there, Alex, because go. there's always something that really catches my attention. You have really said that word volunteer so many times that we have to basically uh, a, a big cheer out to all the people across radio stations, community radio stations across this country and around the world who volunteer their time. In most stations, is there a paid position like a, a general manager or somebody who really kind of does the overview and, and can your fund support that and more? In most stations, yes, there is a station manager, there is a operations manager. In some stations, they're able to have paid positions that are also program directors. But the paid station, the paid positions in any given radio station, are likely one or two, depending on the size of the radio station. If that, because there are stations that don't pay, uh, that don't pay their station managers. The fund is not currently in a position to be able to support that uh, yet. Uh, as we evolve, it's definitely something on the radar of the fund we'd like to be able to support better. But right now, the operations of a radio station are not eligible to be to be supported through our funding streams. Okay, so let's... But they should. They should. So let's ask this then. If we looked at the demographics of the people who are actually involved in the station, are we looking at university and younger? And are we looking at seniors both young seniors, middle middle seniors, and older seniors. Are we older adults? Are we looking at, th- is that where we're getting the core of our volunteers? Absolutely. Uh, and of course, that depends from station to station. If you're a campus station, you're going to see, on balance, far more uh, youngsters. On the other hand, uh, CJNU is a station in Winnipeg that uh, has nothing but 70-plus. Uh, and their audience, their listeners are such that are they're they're seventy plus, and so. But the truth is, Hugh, we draw from all corners of of the community. We draw volunteers from all age ranges, and depending on the format of the station, uh, that will depend. That will change the mix. And what about ethnicity? I mean, are we talking about emerging stations that? reflect the needs of of, uh, of a population that perhaps is growing say in Brampton or or outside Montreal or 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 even the farming community is changing itself uh, you know there's so many questions about this <laughs> well you know community radio stations broadcast uh, either exclusively or programs in more than 65 different languages spoken by Canadians that's incredible we're the only one we're the only ones that will connect a Hindu community in BC. And interestingly, we were having an internal conversation here recently about how do you define community? And I say it's so difficult because um, if you're uh, an immigrant community in BC, the conversations are very different from the, from the immigrant community in Quebec. And so again, it comes back to your geographical and where you are, who you're sitting next to. Uh, and who you're around on a regular basis. Well, how that do we, will define the conversation. How do we draw some of these new Canadians or even new ideas into a station? Do, do from your perspective, do community radio stations actively recruit or do they passively recruit? Well, I think there's a capacity issue here. And, uh, you know, there's a challenge. But I think 
through every radio funding drive uh, that is held, through every uh, public event, every moment that the radio station is out at that community fair, doing either with a host who's, who's part of the, the, the emceeing structure or just with a table sitting there handing out buttons. Um, and, and what swag they can put together. Um, those are all moments where we interact and where we talk with our communities, and we need to be in, explicitly having those conversations. And here's the other point. Community radio is the training ground for all other broadcasts. I wanted media. to go there. You're way ahead of me. Great. If you think about, you know, Pierre Burton had a career that started out on community radio. Katie Lang started out on community radio. Members of the Tragically Hip started out as broadcasters on community radio. Even uh, Dominic LeBlanc in the cabinet of the current government started out a career in community radio. Myself, yourself, many of us, we've had careers that started as broadcasters in community radio. That's not lost on anyone. This is the place you get to cut your teeth. This is the place you get to find out if you love it, and then when you figure that out, you get to tell other people about it. And but, that is another critical role that community radio plays, and it's something that we support actively. But it's so and much I, easier today. I mean, Alex, I, I'm... And, and listen, let's just do a station identification again. This is CKLU 96.7, and our guest today is Alex Friedman. He's speaking to us from Ottawa. Alex, it's so much easier today. I have a device. We're having a conversation. I will translate it. Well, I won't. But my machine will do that, and I'll be able to post it in a way that it's so accessible. It doesn't, community radio, when you started, um, and perhaps when I started back, a little bit of a dabble back in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s, we, our broadcast was ephemeral. It was gone. Yeah. Now we can retain and, and transmit this for the future. What's your thought on all this? Well, when I started at CJLO, um, we had a one-watt AM transmitter. So we really, we weren't broadcasting over the airwaves at the time. And in Montreal, uh, there wasn't room on the, on the dial for another radio station. And so we built uh, our world on the Internet. And we built our broadcast community on the Internet. Um, what is happening is radio is still audio storytelling. And that's what it is at its fundamental basics. But, it, but the platforms that we deliver it on are evolving on a daily basis. And one of the great things is when we see 5G come in, and it's going to get here, uh, it will allow for an incredibly broad and, uh, ability to communicate. Now, it will also allow for foreign uh, interests to be able to come in and access those, those, those broadcast platforms. But it will give it a, a place and it will give a room uh, for community radio to be able to put far more out uh, on a very simple broadcast, uh, uh, internet-based broadcast than ever before. Hmm. But yeah, when we started, Hugh, it was, it was a tower-based conversation, and in many ways we still are tower-based with many of our stations. Um, but those abilities, the ability to get out in a different way, is expanding dramatically. And, and, and the cost is, is dropping in some ways, and yet let's, let's go there too. Uh, many of these stations, especially their campus-based radio stations, rely on funding that perhaps have come from student fees. Yeah. And that's being eroded badly, isn't it? Well, particularly in Ontario right now, um, and, and Alberta is going to move to that same model uh, where students have the opportunity to opt out of those things, and giving students the power to decide where their fees go is important. I understand where that comes from, but at the same time, there are certain basic pieces that need to be maintained, 
and it's very difficult. So what does that mean? Stations need to be more creative about how they fundraise. And I would say this too. One of the, the eternal problems uh, for community radio stations is that is they have undersold themselves. Mm, so you go so into a, 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 you try to sell a piece of advertising. You say, well, uh, you know, it's only this, it's only that. The truth of it is, uh, you're you're accessing a very specific segment of the population, and and being able to get your message out on community radio uh, gives you a very powerful voice. And I think, unfortunately, many of our stations undersell themselves, and so there's a bit of a swagger that needs to come back. But I would say that as we see the new numbers come in, that swagger is coming back. We need to be able to do better. And one of the things that the fund would like to see is an increased emphasis on data collection, both on a local and a national level. Who the audience and is and, and how often they listen. That And the, what kind of programming we right. put out and how many hours of said programming and back to the number of, of languages that we broadcast in and all of these things. Um, it's very difficult for community radio stations to get broadcast numbers because it costs a lot of money to be part of BBM Numeris and these sort of measurement uh, tools. Um, and so very frequently, it's impossible to quantify other than the number of hits you get on a Facebook page or the number of retweets you get on a, on a, on a tweet post. Mm. It's really hard. And so if we can do a better job at helping stations by qualifying and quantifying their listenership, then everybody will be better off. Because what we're learning as we've done the research, as we begin diving into it, there are far more people that listen to community radio than anybody ever thought. Oh, I think there are closet listeners, actually, Alex. I think there are people <laughs> who, who don't say that they do, but they do because, okay, you know, there is you, you hit on advertising. I know there are stations that, I mean, it gets to a point when you listen to some commercial radio stations where the commercials, dom they're like even bigger than, than the, the music itself or the reporting itself. I mean, let's face it, if you listen to, you, would, you actually watch a movie on some channels, the advertising becomes more frequent and longer as you approach the end of the program, and you know you're going to retain the viewers, the audience, until that end. Community radio doesn't always have a huge... I mean, in fact, maybe that's one of the attractive features of it. Advertising is not the primary reason that it's there. No, but at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we support uh, and we're able to continue doing what we do, and those advertising dollars are critical. But you're right, it's not the, not the be-all and end-all. I can tell you when I was a DJ on Shome 97.7 in Montreal, major commercial market station, uh, every three-minute breakdown was one minute of DJ talking, 30 seconds of public service announcements, and the rest of it was advertising. What? And you had to do that an awful lot. You, you get data. You, you understand what's going on across this country. Are there stations that operate on zero dollars? And, and are there stations that have a great big budget if they're, because they're in a bigger city? Yes, yes. There are stations that have significant budgets um, that have, you know, I think the ones that we're seeing grow are the ones who, are, are con who, who see themselves as community hubs. Hmm. So more than just a broadcast, but also uh, a place to bring together that community conversation, uh, a place to allow for locals to come in and produce a podcast, for example, um, a place that focuses on charity uh, within the community and, and producing local events that are critical to that community connection. Okay, here we are in the middle of the pandemic. I haven't been into the station for ages. Are there stations that operate fully in a virtual world, or are there some stations that, you know, basically demand that you come in and do, because, you know, there are some very different philosophies here. Well, more and more there are stations that are 
that are having to get out of the bricks and mortar station, and that's an evolution we're seeing coming out of out of the pandemic. Um, we uh, at the fund put together a technical support micro grant, uh, and this is a couple thousand dollars to help buy some remote microphones and a remote mixing board. And we're seeing stations who are now in an increasing capacity to have many of their shows produced from somebody's living room. From uh, I saw a guy doing a broadcast from a bridge in St. John, and that's part of being in the community. It's a beautiful evolution, and I don't think we need to be tied to our DJ booths anymore, although there will be a time when we'll be able to get back there, Uh, and there's obviously great quality sound that comes out of a DJ booth, but let's remember, uh, we are part of the community, and we should broadcast from the community, and so as it evolves, we're connecting deeper with that mission. So it's essential in some ways to have a geographic location, a place where you can at least put your sign up and people drive by and know you exist. But at the same time, so many stations have had to move because rents have increased or or the campus doesn't support it anymore or they find a, hmm, that they need that space for something else. This is, yeah. this is very hurtful because you do need uh, consistency as well. I think you do, but I do think as well that maybe the operation doesn't need to be quite so big. I'm not so sure you need a shingle to be able to put outside your station. I think that if you focus on your broadcast uh, and making sure that people hear about your broadcast, uh, there are different models that can be employed. Again, though, it comes down to how the community interacts with that broadcast. Oh, absolutely. I I just, uh, well, and of course, maybe that's another plus. Maybe we'll attract more people to for producing shows for community radio by by being that kind of agile, playful place where you can do it. I, I've actually produced a program right from the driver's seat of my vehicle because I can. Lapt- I have laptop, will travel. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, I think it's important, and I'm going to point this out now that we're having this conversation about, about these matters. Um, let, let's do a little comparison. So that in the Canadian broadcast environment, and this is a piece that we're trying to work with the government on, and, and if anybody wants to call their local uh, MP, I think this would be a great conversation to have. Because uh, the government will rewrite a portion of the Broadcasting Act uh, by the end of this year. There are three pillars in the Broadcasting Act when it comes to the Canadian broadcasting environment. One is commercial radio, very obviously. Two is public radio, CBC, TVO, others like that. And the third is community. If you look at the average revenue per station just for Bell Media, okay, this is just for Bell Media now, in the commercial broadcasting environment, it's $3.4 million. The CBC, per station, with 66 stations, Bell Media has 109, $4.95 million per station. Community radio, an average of $319,000. So shoestring. Shoestring. Now, if the government believes in ensuring this country is connected, and I believe it does, we expect we're not going to get the same as CBC does, but I would like to see the gulf diminish dramatically. And let's get back to the conversation earlier. I would like to see money set aside for every community and campus station to have operational dollars coming in to support what they do. And that's a piece of the advocacy that we're working on. Okay, Alex Friedman, tell us again where you are and what your role is and, and how we can thank you for being part of this, this, uh, this program. My name is Alex Friedman. I am in Ottawa right now. I'm the Executive Director for the Community Radio Fund of Canada. And the, the way you can thank me is tuning into your local radio station. And I know the people who are listening to us right now are doing so. But more so, 
call your MP. Tell them how important it is that this Broadcasting Act reflect the critical nature of the third pillar of the broadcasting environment in Canada, a pillar that does nothing but protect Canadian content. And, and, improves, and improves our quality of life, right, Alex? Absolutely. It brings <laughs> us all together when we need to be brought together, and we can't physically be in the same room. That is so true. Alex Friedman, I want to say thank you so much for being part of today's broadcast and uh, and again for the work that you do in the environment that really makes this program and programming across this country and the stations present and vocal and current and valid. Hugh, and I want to thank you for doing the work you do in representing Sudbury. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's not to be diminished. It is so important. And those stations... You know, just can't function without people like you. Well, thank you very much. This is Hugh Cruzel, and this program has been available to you on CKLU 96.7. Look forward to talking to you again soon, folks. Bye for now.